This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in the boomer generation. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gold. This is your co-host, Andrea Goldmarks. We're going to begin with a little context as we launch a brand new segment called The New Normal. It's our experience that those of us in the boomer generation continue to evolve our identities as we face and resolve challenges that require adjustment in profound ways. We'll be offering some conversations with guests who have undergone and continue to work toward overcoming situations requiring a whole new set of perceptions, perspectives, and habits in order to live their lives with vitality despite the unexpected and unanticipated events that unfold as life goes on. We believe our guests are the heroes of their lives in the process of adapting and overcoming the disruptions that tear apart our comfort zones. Our guest today is Barbara Isley, a talented woman and a retired nurse who currently works as a health coach in private practice. Listen as she shares a detailed story of a very difficult medical diagnosis that she received, I guess, about three years ago. The shock, the surprise, and the eventual path that took her far afield of her comfort zone. It's a path that challenges her way of life, her relationships, and her identity. As happens with many of us and our friends, life just has a way of interrupting our best laid plans. Join my co-hosts, B.B. Peters, Jennifer Davis-Page, and myself as we welcome health coach Barbara Isley to share her intense and life-changing personal story. Her generosity in sharing ultimately inspires all of us to view crisis as key to personal evolution. Have you ever had a big change in your life and you find yourself comparing your experience of today with what you used to do or how it used to be or what you used to be able to do? That's why we decided to call this episode of Boom Goddess Radio The New Normal. I'm Andrea Gould-Marks, and I'm sitting here with my partners, B.B. Peters, Jennifer Davis-Page, and our guest, Barb Isley. Thank you for being here with us. Well, thanks for having me, Andrea. And we, we get to a certain age, and things begin to change. Maybe not so slowly, and certainly things have changed through the course of our lifetime. But sometimes it feels as though life is... Pitching one ball after another that's requiring us to adjust. And we know that our guest, Barb, had a, a life health crisis um, not so long ago. And um, I've been privy to a little bit of the journey of her readjustment over the years. And I'm wondering if you could willingly tell us the story, Barb. Sure. Um in 2016, in fact, it was the December 20, no, December 19th, 2015. To be specific. <laughs> uh, 
that's part of how that sudden this was for me. I woke up one Saturday morning and my arms were majorly swollen. So swollen I couldn't get them in a sweater, just to give you some kind of a... And I, I have small arms to begin with. Yeah, you're a tiny one. Yeah. And so uh, that started this journey. And uh, it was scary and nobody could diagnose what it was. And then I was misdiagnosed in February. And the treatment for the misdiagnosis actually caused symptoms which led them to finally diagnose me with um, an autoimmune disorder that's very rare, and it's called myasthenia gravis. And my life changed forever. And being, as, as a friend, I was part of that journey, and we've all had friends who share with us the intimate details of what's going on with energy, with something funny about my knee, or all of a sudden I'm not able to. And that's what happened as I listened deeply to Barb's experience and the misdiagnosis that ultimately pushed the autoimmune over the edge so that it became more clear. Right. right. Barb, what was the diagnosed as initially? Uh, myositis, polymyositis, oh. which means inflamed muscles. Okay, and the treatment for that is? Was steroids. steroids. And the steroids actually caused the symptoms of muscle weakness in the myasthenia. Well, what's interesting is that it's they're also a treatment for myasthenia, but it's like two weeks of this extreme weakness caused by the steroids. And that's when... I was so weak, I couldn't even swallow my own saliva. And I was admitted, admitted to the hospital. Um, fortunately, I saw a neurologist, uh, and he looked at me and he said, you're going straight to the hospital. You can't even go home. Because he said the next stage of this is that it's going to hit your breathing muscles, and you're not going to be able to breathe. And he said over the weekend, because this was on a Friday, he said, you're going to show up in an emergency room, and nobody's going to know what this is or how to take care of you. So, so you went directly? Directly from his office to TMC, Tucson Medical Center. And I spent a weekend there getting an infusion called IVIG, which is absolutely a miracle for me. And Be say what it stands for, for our listeners oh, out intravenous there. intravenous immune globulin. Which I, is often a treatment for autoimmune, many autoimmune diseases. For different, diseases. yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Guillain-Barre, I never know how to pronounce it. Oh, Guillain-Barre? Yes. It's also a treatment for that. Oh, do yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know it's used for a lot of different things. You know, it's a bi blood byproduct. takes anywhere from 100 to 1,000 people. And this specific part of the blood being, uh, tr you know, centrifuged out and I don't know that it was centrifuge. It is created from blood, and um, it's extremely expensive for one treatment. The retail for one treatment of mine is $21,000, and I am so grateful for insurance. That's a whole other direction to take. On the new normal, right? On the new normal, on the potential new normal. Right, which would have catastrophic implications. Catastrophic. Right, for anybody and with a pre-existing condition. 
And I have to say, there are people today who are misdiagnosed or whose doctors are treating them and don't understand this disorder, and they're still dying. And those people who were properly treated, the, the fatality rate is less than 3% when you're properly treated. So it's a miracle and a blessing for you. Miracle. Can you take us through the adjustment process for you, how you adjusted to each stage of it? Because next what happened is a big surgery. Yeah. The big issue for me is I was the Energizer Bunny until the 19th of December. And I was telling Barbara earlier that I didn't stop to think about a busy calendar day because I knew if I got a Good night's sleep, I'd bounce right back tomorrow. And so that has been huge for me. I was so weak, I couldn't get out of a chair by myself. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't cut my own food. There, were day, there was a very beginning, my husband had to feed me, and then I had this huge handle that was put onto regular silverware so I could feed myself. I'd sit at the table and I could not believe that what was happening to me from just three months earlier. And of course, the contrast between your identity beforehand, the pre-existing identity, or what they call the pre-morbid identity, and the reality, which was the current reality in that spring following the, 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 the change, that's the part that really gets us that we have this comparison because we know who we are. We identify with what who we know ourselves to be, and all of a sudden we're confronted with a whole new, we're in a whole new world and what that does to our feelings about ourselves. Exactly. And you know, I've also always been very optimistic. And so for me, this contrast of the reality of what my, the situation of my body and my optimism about a future were, was a huge gap. And so to, you know, how do I bridge that gap? And I have to say that it was friends like Andrea and being able to talk about it and have somebody just listen and not try and fix, but support me. Um, and, you know, we could always find something that was positive about what was going on, even if it was... And funny, and I see by the smile on your face that positive and sometimes funny, too. And sometimes distracting. Yeah. I remember, I remember you saying to me at one point, tell me what's going on with you so that I don't have to think about what's going on with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, the hardest part was when I was able to be by myself and my husband would leave the house and my friends were all busy... And I was left with myself. And that's what some of the hardest part. I think that looking back over the three years, that it really being able to uh, live in the unknown. Because even today, I said to my doc last time I was there, I said, so what's the path forward for this? Because I'm really doing very well from the outside you don't know right now, right? There's limitations. I can't ride my bicycle anymore, et cetera. And it's still a goal, but I'm not there yet. May I just uh, ask if you're comfortable sharing your age with our listeners? Yes, I'm going to be 75 
in a month. Well, happy birthday soon. Thank you. Congratulations. I was 71 when I was diagnosed. Okay, and here's a woman who's a little sad because she can't ride her bicycle at 75. And may I just bring us to reality right now, okay? <laughs> I so applaud you. I so applaud you, Barb. Right. But, you know, of course, it's the it's what we identify with that makes the difference. If you've never been a bike rider and you can't ride a bike, no biggie. But if you see yourself as athletic and capable as one of our past guests, with a knee injury did and, and does, then there's the inevitable fall into, we hate to say it, but depression. Because there's so much anxiety that goes on, number one, in the struggle to accept what's going on, number two, in the loss of the identity and yeah. the capabilities of who we were. And that anxiety drains our batteries for life. It drains our energy even if we're just sitting still, it's, yeah. it's an energy drain. And so inevitably with a change, any change very often, whether it's for the better or definitely for the more difficult, yeah. is accompanied by a fall, into, a fall into depression. And I want to chat a little bit about the fears that may have been going through your mind and your heart at that point. Uh, when I think about you know, as we become older and we learn to be more spiritual and how we can go inside ourselves and feel the moment or the pain and just grow in that presence and be in that silence. So, and that is a a fueling concept, a fueling idea for us to have. But when you're in the condition that you were, Barb, I would imagine that getting in touch with that spirituality and that ability to transcend your current situation becomes a little bit more complicated. Dr. Andrea, yes. And no, and that would be a great place for us to just take a deep breath and have a little mini break here. And then we'll come back and really talk about how how you, Barbara, were able to keep yourself steady during that time. The how and the who of that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're Boom Goddess Radio here talking about the new normal with my partners, B.B. Peters, Jennifer Davis-Page, and our guest, Barbara Isley, talking about her new normal, the latest new normal, <laughs> the one that's resolving. <laughs> Go ahead, Barb. Take you it. mean the one that I'm currently still moving in? But, you know, if, if there was a curve <laughs> of going into the depths and coming out of the depths and I'm motioning with my hands sort of like in a U shape, that it feels like there's progress on the up side. If you were in a bowl, yeah. you're like climbing up the other side of the right. bowl. So what part of it do you want me to talk about? Well, let's just talk about passing through the depression okay. part which is inevitably a companion to almost any change, especially a change that, that really brings us into a confrontation with mortality. Yeah, I think the, um, the depths of it uh, probably happened um, 
I don't know. I think I was, I think if you think about a wave, that's really the way the depression, I didn't go into a real, real deep depression. Um, and I don't, I mean, we could analyze why, but that's, I don't think that's important. But I do know that there were times when I was by myself that I really wondered what my future would be. And there was a real financial need for me to work. And so I actually, I ended up having a tumor on my thymus gland, which is actually, it's called a thymoma. And that's what actually triggered the MG for me. And so this pressure and my view of life and not really wanting to let go of my image had me 10 days after my surgery start seeing clients again. That's 10 days after my chest was opened, just like I have a scar, just like somebody who has had a bypass. And uh, 10 days after that, I propped myself in my chair. And, and it's because you were wanting to get back to the previous normal, right? You were seeking well, that, that normal. Well, that was certainly a part of it, and it was driven financially. But I, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of it was an identity thing, and I was trying to claim my identity. Right. And, and Barbara's identity is as a coach, as a life coach, and most specifically as a health coach, because what she hasn't said is that for many years ago, she was a nurse. So when we would talk, she would be able to um, highlight all the different aspects, the chemistry, the biology, the pharmaceuticals, the states that accompanied where she was. So I see those things as almost like handholds if you're climbing a, a sheer cliff. She had some knowledge that she was able to hold on to. Absolutely. And I think for me, because uh, with my friend Andrea here, we call ourselves the science girls, mm. um, That was, it's very important for me to understand what's going on. Now, that's contrasted with living in the unknown. And none of us really know. Does, do any of us know what's going to happen tomorrow? I mean, I, you know, the older I get, I have had multiple friends who have lost their husbands in the last two years, suddenly, and one of them very unexpectedly. So living in the unknown, it, it kind of becomes the amoeba on our face as we, as we begin to see these, but it's really an unknown all along the way. But you know, no matter what age we are, we live in the unknown. I mean, uh, we're talking about our age as boomers, but there are 15, 16, 17-year-old kids, three-year-old children that are living in the unknown. And so it affects everybody. I think uh, when, when I was young, you know, you thought only old people died. You know, you, you, you grow up and you live and you die, and then, but only old people do that. Yes. But, the, but, you but know, that's, that's not the case at all. And it gets right. a little bit more complicated because as Barb is illustrating and is the case with so many boomers, we have 
continuing financial responsibilities. And since the whole concept of retirement is slowly fading from our realities, so many of us are working well beyond the original 55, well beyond the second level, which was the 65-year-old retirement. So, so many of the people that we know are working on basically until they can't do whatever anymore. And so the idea of being able to go to your coaching practice and to be able to feel a little bit more normal, but more than anything, I think, to be of of assistance and to be of service, that's your legacy. It really is. And what's so beautiful is that over the last three years, I have been able to increase the part of my practice where I'm actually helping train and mentor coaches and decrease the parts of my practice where I had to do marketing, which is the energy drain of any private practice. So um, I'm, I'm very grateful for how this, and some of this, I have to say, happened because I surrendered. And surrender That's the is spirituality a, part that Bibi was talking about. Yeah, surrender is a part where somebody said to me, well, does that mean passive? And I said, no, it's not passive. But it is about, you know, I wish I could, if I could describe and write about surrender, I think I could be a bazillionaire because <laughs> I think it is the secret to really having life work. Because when I least expected things, that's when things showed up. What relationship so, does it have with acceptance? Sorry, Barb. That's okay. And also that, and uh, how are we defining it? Let's let's dive a little deeper into the definition of that. Surrender, you said, Barb, that some people think it's uh, giving up, right? But describe what it is to you, and then we can just go around the room and express what we think it may be also. Well, I think surrender for me because I think it's very individual. Surrender for me is really giving up control where I don't, where I thought I had control and I don't really have control. It was, surrender was when I was, so if you look at it in a behavioral sense, it was like going to bed for two hours in the afternoon when that wasn't what my habit was, nap. Energizer bunnies don't nap. No, they don't nap, right? And so surrender was also trusting something, you know, it's the spirituality part. It's a spiritual part, knowing that there was something else that for 71 years had taken care of me through the thick and thin. And why would that something not be there now? And when I surrender, I can pay attention. Magic shows up. I follow trails that I wouldn't necessarily follow. I ask for things that I wouldn't necessarily ask for. I'm curious. So surrender to me is anything but passive, but it's really stepping into the unknown. Into the unknown. And how about you, Jen? Well, let me ask Barbara this question. It sounded like it was very therapeutic for you to go back to work. I know you said you had to go back to work for financial reasons, but it sounded like it really helped. It oh, did. absolutely. I, I mean... I love working with people from the coaching perspective. I mean, that, that's my passion. And that really gives me great purpose. 
surrender. I don't know if I, I don't know if I have surrendered. I mean, you know, I am just right now. I'm as healthy as I'm. I'm hoping I'm as healthy as I think I am, and and I'm like you were the the bunny. However, I'm the bunny that takes naps in the afternoon. Good for you, All right? And I'm thinking that it's because your body sends out signals that it's time for you to stop for a moment. Um, so, well, Jen, I want to say, Jen, that that may be a form of surrender, that you listen to your body. Okay. All right. Well, that See, I didn't listen to my body. I had another cup of coffee. All right. Okay. And you just forged ahead then, right? Well, I don't know if I can even answer that question because I, I'm... I'm I'm not feeling like I have, but listening to you, perhaps I have. Well, maybe it's not an all or nothing kind of thing. In other words, the opposite of surrender, I think, is what Barb brought up as believing that we can control what's happening. So needing to be in control, of course, is a, is a human survival um, demand. But by the same token, we can expect of ourselves over control. So, you know, in the first part of life, let's just say, when we are leaving high school and the the flow is for us to choose something that's going to carry us through, hopefully be able to finance our life, we are in an active control situation. We're going to choose the job we're going to take. We're going to choose perhaps the educational path we're going to take. We're going to, we're going to believe that we're in control of that. And you know, the way we're constructed naturally is that we have the energy and we have the mental capacity, and hopefully we have some guidance. People are looking after us, at least for a portion of that time. Then, you know, looking at the other end of the continuum, like where we are as as boomers, we don't necessarily have control over the economic factors in life, maybe even the climatological factors of life. Maybe we used to live in a place that was below sea level or at sea level, and now all of a sudden we can't control the weather. We can't control the economy. And maybe because of our bodies, as we grow older, there are certain factors like the um, amazing prevalence of autoimmune disease at this point, that somehow the toxicity in our environment, we can't necessarily firsthand control as if we were farmers. So I think all of those are valid for sure. And I'm thinking of it in terms of really like just a very simplistic experience of where over maybe the course of a week you have thoughts uh, or plans. Well, I want someone to come in and fix my window. Uh, Oh, I feel like I want to delicious steak, or I'm going to go and listen to some music. And then one day you say, I don't have any plans. This is like a blank day. And lo and behold, all those things that you were just thinking about a week or two before are unfolding in perfect sequence during that day and the flow of that day moving along. And everything that you had identified as wanting to have in your life is happening unscheduled that you didn't have anything to do with. That to me is surrender. Did that happen to you recently? Oh, as a matter of fact, it has. (laughs) Yes, yes, it has. 
So yeah, on the small scale, you know, it's that kind of a thing. Well, but it has I, to it, do see, with... for me, you pointed to something that surrender doesn't mean that you don't hold have those thoughts and desires. It just means that, you know, you have the thoughts and desires and I have a desire to ride my bike and I am sure that I will. Oh, I'm so proud now, of that. It's so inspiring. Like it tugs at my heart how inspiring <laughs> that is. The... Well, when I was 67... In 2011, I rode the whole El Tour de Tucson, 114 miles. I am not an athlete, all right? But I took on an athletic endeavor, and I trained, etc. right? So I know that that happened because I said, I'm going to do it. You know, the power of, here we are again with surrender, the power of declaration, of what we're going to do, the power, and, you know, being willing to have to not have it happen. Well, I, I really want to bring our attention to the fact that it is three years later, after physical therapy, countless IVIG treatments, support and love of family and friends, in, incredible dedication to the rigors of what you needed to do right. to to get healthier and healthier. Can we just share with our listeners in the minute we have before the break where you are now so with to, those declarations? Yeah. So today, if you looked at me, you wouldn't know anything was wrong. Um, I have a full practice. I uh, have a, a fabulous marriage of almost 53 years, and my husband and I love doing things together. And, um, you know, we have a vision for the future, and we know we have to dance it. Some nights, I go to bed at 8 o'clock, right? And, but I'm up at 5.30 every day because that seems to be my body clock. It's and when you and Andrea chat on the phone, too. Yes. So, yes, that is yes, a daily thing for you. So, It's a wondrous thing. And I, I think that the... Um, claiming what you claiming your vision and your desire and your commitment and persistence in combination all together lets you be the person you are today so one other quick question what percentage of the activities that you used to do on a you know percentage basis what percentage can you do now as opposed to march 20 16. Yeah, I, I would say that probably um, 80% to some degree at some time. Fabulous. Okay. <laughs> From zero. The new normal. From, that's right. Thank you so much for the new normal. We'll be back after a break. Welcome back. This is Andrea Goldmarks of Boom Goddess Radio with my lovely partners, Jennifer Davis-Page and B.B. Peters. And we still have our guest, Barbara Isley. And we'll be talking a little bit more about the new normal, all the different kinds of new normals that confront us women of a certain age. And what hit us so much during Barb's 
conversation is that she brings a level of heroism, an idea of to me, of what heroism is like, right? I'm always so attached and inspired by women and people who overcome, who overcome the impossible, who move past what was what they ever thought may have been possible. And Barb, you demonstrate mm-hmm. this so nicely to us that you Thank were you. able to overcome this, a major event in your life. It was like a punch to your body. It was. And one of the things that I can say is I think that boomers today are experiencing all kinds of experiences beyond their body, okay, that they have to overcome. You know, there was the financial crisis. There have been, you know, there's political and environmental crises. And these are all requiring us to find a new normal. So I think there's all kinds of new normals that that boomers are facing today. And I'm so glad that we're talking about those here today. Uh, Dr. Andrea, what new normal in your life have you come across? Well, a couple of years ago, I moved from New York to the Southwest. And the new normal here was a great sense of spaciousness. It was actually, in a funny way, a relief not knowing anybody. There was the opportunity to create my own new way of living and operating. I really love that. I love the opportunity to be forced to change my habits, to change my perceptions, to see different landscapes. That was one new normal for me. What about you, Jen? Well, the same thing. I moved down to the desert as well uh, about a year after you did. I moved from Chicago to uh, Tucson, Arizona. And my new normal was during that transition was I was married for 13 years and I didn't want to uh, see him every day. I love him, but I didn't want to see him every day. And so we have a relationship called Living Apart Together, which listeners probably at this point know about. And so my new normal was living as a married person in a house by myself and, and living my life the way I wanted to live it. And he's a snowbird and he comes down and he really respects my space now. I mean, I hate to say that he doesn't feel like it's really his home, but we it, this marriage is working out just fine as a result of living apart together. And I'm in the desert and he's in Chicago. Yeah, you know, one of the things that um, comes to my mind is that when we go through any kind of big transition, there is this curve, right, where it takes our self-identity, it takes all these things, and we really do have a choice as we come out of that as to how we're going to live our life. And so for some of us, that might be easier who are optimists, but we really do have to understand that I can look every day at what I couldn't do today, or I can look at the beauty of what did happen today, that if even on a daily basis. And one of the things I do when I see that curve in my head, you know, coming from a crisis up here and then moving through, the thing that helps me the most is to ask myself, what do I need to learn to adjust to this? What kinds of experiences do I need to have in order to get used to this? What kind of new habits do I have to develop? So we call it a learning mindset. I think um, Carol Dweck calls it a um, growth mindset. Growth mindset. Thank you very much. 
the uh, boomer mind. <laughs> the boomer <laughs> mind is showing. But yes, I mean, to have a learning mindset really puts us in a whole different driver's seat. You know, we're no longer the victim of circumstance. We we have choices. Well, and I love the idea of adaptability, right? Because then we can look at ourselves and say, why does it appear that some people are better able to adapt to those curves that you ladies have identified? And why is it more challenging for others? What do you, <laughs> what do you think holds us back? What do you think holds us back from being able to adapt to that flow? I think there are certain habits. I think there are certain habits of resiliency. There's certain ways of achieving personal strength, internal strength, that, that helps us, that at least gives us the energy to say, okay, I, I'm going to have to learn. I'm, it's not a choice. I want to adapt. And I think that desire, again, desire, you know what it really means? It means desire in in um, Latin. It means of the stars. It means putting a goal out there and wanting to climb toward it. Dr. And Andrea, you know, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Barbara. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that if we go back to one of the things that keeps people is I sometimes don't think that people know that they can learn and move forward. And really, programs like this are ways for people to see that there is another way to think about something. They don't even know what they don't know. That's the inspiration for me as well. Dr. That's... Andrea, as a, I'm sorry, Barbara, nope. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping over everybody's tongue today. I apologize. Uh, is it easier for young people, for our young listeners, is it easier for them to adopt to a new normal than it is for baby boomers to adopt to a new normal? Like changing high school, mom and dad moving to a new city, changing high school, missing all your friends. Is it easier for them? You know, I think it has to do with what you believe like a belief system or a set of expectations. When we're young, we know that every couple of years we're going to be in a new school. We know that at the end of 12 years, we're going to be almost in a new life. And after, if we go to college, that's going to be a change. So it's expected. I think the difference sometimes is that we get used to a comfort zone and we see that as something that's going to continue forever. And yet, if we look around us, we see not only the people close to us, but the people that we hear about in the news, that we hear about in breaking news, that now we hear about in different parts of the world, um, it's a whole different ballgame. So I think it has to do with expectations. If we prepare ourselves, if we think that change is going to be demanding, uh, demanded of us, it's good for us to know that it's not going to stay the same. Some people stay in their comfort zone because any of these big transitions that we've all talked about, require us to step out into our, out of our comfort zone. And some people either don't have the capacity, they don't have the tools, or they don't have the opportunities, or they don't have the desire. But any kind of big change is going to require us to face the unknown. And the good news is that skills can be taught. Yes. They absolutely are out there. We can strengthen ourselves. The more we know about the brain, the more we know about neuroplasticity and our ability to change. Once we know about it, we know what we can do about it, and we can do a whole show on that. But if we have a new normal, is there such a thing as going back to the normal? I mean, how about not liking the new normal and going back to the normal? Is that well, healthy? Let me just say mm. one thing about that. That's a serious question. That's a serious that question. The old normal is always knocking on the door. Right. So I am, in my case, and Andrea knows this, I, ve I often fill my calendar too full 
you know, like the Energizer Bunny did. I look at my calendar for next Wednesday this morning, and I said, oh, I think we need to change something next Wednesday. But it took, but the automatic was just to put all those things that I want to do in there. And then there's, you know, saying no to things that I don't want to say no to. That's kind of the, that's kind of like the new normal is changing, actually changing our habitual behavior. Like yeah. you're saying, not scheduling as tightly as we did before or being able to say no when we're used to saying yes. But the old normal's right there and automatically you say yes to things, right? That's I right. mean, that's what I Take was. Take some strength example. of mind. It yeah. takes strength of mind, new habits of mind. There are some people that don't have it. I've met a man that said every Thursday he has a hamburger. He has had a hamburger every Thursday for 30 years. All right. That's his meal of the day on Thursdays. So, well, here's the other thing I would say about habits, though, <laughs> is that some habits make life easy. Okay. Okay. Right. So there's some habits like that, exercise. That serve us. Yes. Yeah. Like, like I developed a habit when I was in my 20s of taking a walk no matter what. I paid for it once taking a walk in an ice storm, but I, I walked I no thought, matter I, what for wait, a half wait. hour. I thought you were going to say that you paid a trainer to walk with you or something <laughs> like that. And I said, okay, this is interesting. Not at all. Oh, okay. I just, okay. no matter the weather, and I lived <laughs> in New York, and so the weather was different every day. I was out there, and I, and I kept that habit. And you know what? I don't feel comfortable unless I, and you all know this, unless I take my walk in the morning. So some, so some things of the normal so for, for me, self-care, I couldn't go and do as much, but I still walk every day. All right. We and must so, have been sisters in another <gasps> life. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so th so, so uh, my whole point about the old normal, there are parts of that that still serve me that I bring forward with me. And I think the key is the consciousness. What's serving, what isn't serving. Yeah, that's a discretionary process that we have to go through. Well, Barbara, you were talking about getting on your bike. I want to tell all of you and our listeners this wonderful story that our friends at AARP sent to Boom Goddess Radio about Sister Madonna Buter. And she's also known as the Iron Nun and the Flying Nun and the Mother Superior of the Triathlon. She is a Roman Catholic nun. She began running in 1978 at the age of 48 years old, and as of 2019, has completed 390 triathlons. She has earned seven world titles and six national titles in her age group, various dis distances of triathlon. She is an inspiration to all athletes and non-athletes, and she's 89 years old. Okay, oh, we God have a lot to look forward to. That's super. Yeah. Well, I think maybe we're coming to the end of our dedicated time today. Please... It, write to us, info at boomgoddessradio.com, so that we can hear about your new normals. We would love to hear from you. Like we like to say, your feedback powers our programs. Thanks for listening. And thank you from the bottom of our heart to our marvelous guest. Thank you. Barbara, it was wonderful having you here. Thanks, Bibi. I love I love this radio, Boom Goddess Radio, and it's such a privilege to be here. And as Walter without... Cronkite used to say, we'll see you on the radio. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Well, ultimately, new learning was the key to Barbara's resilience. She was really focused on that growth mindset, that new learning. And even though she was um, hampered by some fears, of course, and unknowns, right? Uh, she was um, ready to come into the new normal uh, with the best tools that she could gather. And that included learning uh, a whole bunch of different things about what she was diagnosed with and how she can deal with it, and then accepted in her own life what limits have been placed on her because of it. Yeah, we talked about acceptance. We talked about surrender. She spoke about her patience, her persistence, and her perspective. There are so many parts to this. There are so many facets for us to explore. And certainly her presence was a testament to the success of her utilizing those tools. And we all have some new normals, right, that we have heard about, that people have shared with us, even in our own lives. Um, Jenny, you were telling us the other day about a story of uh, a woman with a wedding dress. What is that about? Yes, this lovely young lady was telling the story about the day she picked up her wedding dress, looking forward to marrying this man that she dearly loved. And as she was taking it and hanging it in her room, they were living together at the time, he walked in and said, I've decided I don't want to do this. Mm, I have to just Great have timing. a little sigh here. Mm -hmm. And she was, of course, very, very upset. I mean, she had a gorgeous diamond ring that uh, I told her to keep, but... Uh, I would have given her the same advice. Yes, <laughs> I told her to keep. Um, but she ended up giving it back to him because she was so angry with him. But that is, that's devastating. You know, she kept the dress for several years and ended up donating it to um, a charity so that they could sell it and, and raise, uh, you know, raise funds. But her heart was broken for a very long time. So you talk about a new normal. That is that how, adjustment. So how long was she engaged or did she know him? She knew him for like three years. Okay. And they were engaged for one year. For one year. And yes. then they planned the wedding. They planned the wedding. And this is how The this... day of the wedding? No, 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 no. Okay. No, the she day was... she brought the dress home. Got it. That's right. And That's right. the wedding would have been about six or eight months down, down the road. Okay. But... That's a heartbreaking story. There are breakups and there are breakups. And certainly, after any breakup, we have to retrieve what the new normal is or we have to create the new normal. We've all had friends in that position where we have to be a friend as we experience that heartbreak with another empathetically. And how do we help someone get over a heartbreak and create a new normal for themselves? What are some of the tools that one needs to do to use to get over a heartbreak, get used to being single again? And especially when one doesn't want to be single, there's the breaking up where you're the person who got broken up with, and then there's the breaking up where you finally get free of a relationship 
you think it's harder interest in it. it's harder to help if you've not experienced it yourself do you think you can really help someone help a girlfriend if you've not gone through the same thing that she's gone through Dr. Andrew, what do you think? I think empathy is there, whether one has experienced something like that directly or not. I think most friends can empathize with what it feels like, especially if they've been friends through witnessing the relationship as it goes. Of course, having experienced anything firsthand always creates a little bit more of an investment in the recovery, perhaps. And I just want to touch base on the word empathy a little bit, right? We talked a little bit about it the other day, what empathy is and what it isn't, right? So empathy is being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's different than sympathy. Yes, right. 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 So therefore, you don't have to have to have had that experience. But if you're able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you can have empathy for the situation that they're undergoing. I was just thinking about babies and the new normal when they stop nursing or when they stop drinking from a bottle and how difficult it is for that baby, two years old, three years old, to adjust to the new normal of drinking from a cup. Then or what not about the parents, yeah. the baby. Never mind the baby. What about the parents? What do, what adjustments do they have you to see, go my through? See my empathy for the baby. Oh, for I can put sakes. myself in the baby's Never mind position. the baby, man. <laughs> I the, knew a couple that forgot they even had a baby. The baby was home for two days, and they decided to go to dinner and left the house and got in the car and dis- and said, "Oh my God, we have a new, we have a." A new normal. It's a new normal. (laughs) And that reminds me of some dreams that I used to have before I gave birth, which was, what if I leave the baby in the shopping cart? What if I leave the baby in the car? What if I don't remember that I have a baby? So they enacted it. I only dreamed about it. It was a nightmare, I'll tell you. But that's a really good example. Um, I also remember adjusting to motherhood. I didn't take out my diamond earrings that were a gift to me on giving birth. I slept in my earrings for weeks. I mean, I was so disoriented to that new normal of being a mom, and you did that three times over. Yes, yes, yes. By the second and third time, you were used to that normal. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, how about Jen? You know, you were a single mom. What about the new normal of being a single parent? That is so prevalent. Oh, and you, Dr. Andrea, you were a single mom as well. I mean, how do you adjust to that? Well, you you just do. It's it seems that my first husband, the father of my children, he wasn't a participant. So I was kind of like a single mother for mm-hmm. years, even mm-hmm. with him yeah. being in the home. So when I decided to divorce him, I had a plan. My baby was going to be my youngest was going to be in kindergarten. That gave me some flexibility. That Wiggle every, room that everybody was in <laughs> school. Okay, yes. and um. I so enjoyed them. and But I think when a woman decides that she's going to make a decision like that, she's planned years, at least I did, you plan years in advance in your head as to how this is going to affect you and your children. And, that and that's up, what I did, yeah. That brings up another point about the kind of rehearsal that we can go through in our own heads while observing, witnessing, being party to someone else's life, good friends, that we can ask ourselves, or subconsciously we ask ourselves, how would I deal with this? What if this was my new normal? So I love that idea because what that does, 
it eases the anxiety and the tension that we feel inside about what's uh, possible, what could happen. If we have a slight plan, right, or a slight vision of it, a an outline of how we want to be, how we, we how we want the new normal to be. More than that, we're going to move in that um, direction and arrive at that point. You know, and that brings up the question like Jennifer raised about what, what happens to moms when the children go to school. And it made me think about the fact that, you know, at that point, we do have a peer group. We have other moms in our life whose children are starting school. So we have some reference points around us. The opposite of that is when we really go against what everybody else is doing, so all of a sudden perhaps finding ourselves divorced and a single parent for the first time while everyone around us, our peer group, is is married. So adopting to the new normal as an outlier is different than becoming comfortable with the new normal when we are at least surrounded by others who are also experiencing the new normal. Like the child who leaves home and goes away to college is surrounded by people who are also adopting the new normal for themselves, living away from home. But doctor, is it more difficult? Because the new normal can happen at a blink of an eye. You know, your husband could leave the house to go get milk, have an automobile accident, and never come home. That get, that throws you into a new normal that you weren't expecting. Is it easier to, to, to recover from a planned new normal, like you're planning to divorce or, you know, there is such a thing as a planned new normal. So I think, is it easier to recover from that? I think so. I think I'll use that word again. When we're planning something, we're rehearsing our options. We're rehearsing our alternatives. I've watched so many of my clients when I was a young therapist going through empty nest. So I would get scores of perspectives on empty nests so that by the time my nest was empty, it felt like something that I'd been going through for a long time. So sometimes it's about what you're paying attention to in your world. As a therapist, obviously I'm paying attention to everything that my clients are saying. So I got a chance to rehearse what that would be like. So that was planned. So therefore, that was like planning and it was almost expected. for you. It was expected. It was expected. The same way as we can look around at, at people and see that we might expect what it might be like to have to downsize or to want to downsize. I remember being a young woman and having a friend of mine who was way older. I maybe was 35. He was way older, maybe 55. And he decided to sell all of his possessions And he decided that he didn't want to carry all these extra burdens through life. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if I'm going to feel like that at 55, about unburdening myself of possessions. So he willingly wanted to create a new normal for him, right? And so that moving, that packing and cleansing, that brings to mind, right, when we meet with our Network of Extraordinary Women group on a monthly basis, right? what is like the number one thing that draws women to this magnificent group? 
it's the new people that come to Tucson, right? They have just created a new normal for themselves. They are moving here. They don't know anyone. And here's this magnificent uh, platform for them to get connected into right along there, right quickly, with women who are typically their own age or thereabout, who are still creative, entrepreneurial, have this great imagination. And so their new normal is softened a little bit by that. Well, there comes yes. the there comes the peer group again. Yes. So you can look around and see people who function as role models for us, and the stories are what inform us. And that's why we're so fascinated by story and by listening to other people's story and by encouraging and sharing stories because we know that it helps us evolve. It takes some of the anxiety, takes some of the edge off. I knew a woman that had been married. Uh, for 40 years. I knew the couple for about 10. And they always seemed to be so loving. And when he decided to retire and she decided to retire, one evening she was sitting in her living room and her husband of 40 years walks in and he has on six-inch stilettos, fishnet stockings, a red leather skirt, a wig, and his face completely made up. And he told her, this is who I am. That's a big one. That's a big one. It's very heavy, right? I mean, you've been with this man for 40 years, and you are now presented with a totally different... Um, reality. It's a different a, person, different reality. Right. A total shock to the system. Right. Right. And so many new normals start with a shock to the system, as contrasted by the, our previous part of the conversation, where we can see a gradual new normal dawning on, the, on our horizon. Shocking, that one. Do you know what became of them? Yes, I absolutely know what became of them. She put him out that same night, had the locks on the door changed called her children, told them what had happened, and had completely cut him out of her life in every way. I don't even think that they've ha had a spoken word since that night. Do we know what happened to him? Yes. She is thriving and, and telling friends that this is the best time of, of her life. On the lighter side, the... Washington Wizards, which is an NBA basketball team out of, out of Washington, D.C., they've decided that they're going to have a new cheerleading squad. And the cheerleaders are all over 50. And they're having the time of their life. They went out for trials. And I, and I believe I read that there, were, there must have been 90 people that came out for trials. They selected 20. 19 of them are women. One is a man. And they are from the age of 50 to 76. Are they a regular cheerleading squad or they only pit, like pitch in once a year? No, no, no. They're a regular cheerleading squad. Wow, that's wow. a great way to stay in shape. Fantastic way that to stay in shape. That could be our new normal coming up. Right. Yeah. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.